Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, excited to be with you. Excited for those of you who are joining us online too that you can be with us today. But hey, we are in the New Testament book of Acts. We've been working our way through it uh, for over a year now. Taking breaks here and there. But uh, as we go, each time Paul comes to a city that he ends up finishing up ministry and writing a letter back to that place, we're just taking a pause and looking at what did he write to them. It puts it in context, like why did he write? And so we're gonna do that a little bit again today. Uh, We're gonna be in 2 Thessalonians, his second letter to that church. Pastor Dave covered the first one last Sunday. Uh, But before we dive in, let me pray, and then we're gonna be in 2 Thessalonians today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us, Father. Um, Through Christ, Uh, Lord, I pray today that as uh, we look at your word, you'd encourage our hearts, encourage us with uh, your faithfulness, your steadfastness, Jesus, your return, and then help us to live in light of that, not to become lazy, not to be complacent or uh, even fatalistic, but to keep working, to, to keep sharing the gospel, to keep talking with others who are far from you, who need to know that they're loved like we know we're loved. Holy Spirit, help me as I teach your word. Help us all to understand it and learn from it, the words you wrote. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as we've gone through this series, the book of Acts is, if you're new, you know, you might not know, the book of Acts is really about how the church got started. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about Jesus' life, and they cover about 30 years from Jesus' birth to his death, burial, resurrection. Well, Acts then covers the next 30 years after Jesus' ascension and how the church begins to grow and continue uh, what's happening. And so the question at the forefront of everyone's mind throughout the book of Acts and in the letters in the New Testament is this, what does it mean to be a Christian? I mean, nobody's ever been a Christian before. What's it mean to be a Christian? What's it look like? What, what's it mean to live like a Christian? What's it mean, you know, how should I think? How should I worship? How should I love? How should I deal with my family? How should I live as a married person? How should I live as someone who's single? How should I live when life is really good? And what do I do when life is really hard and doesn't make any sense? Well, when Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica a couple times, it's really that last question that's at the forefront of his mind and kind of under the surface. When life is hard, when life doesn't make sense, 
when following God seems to cause more trouble than just backing into the shadows. That's what Paul's writing about. And as we work through Acts, you know, we're stopping at these points. Today we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians when he writes back to the church in Thessalonica. But uh, I thought it might be good just to set the story up again, give us a little context. You know, we've been following Paul around. He's gone across a modern-day Turkey, and he's got this guy named Silas with him. And Paul and, uh, and Silas are moving, making their way across what is modern-day Turkey. And as they go, uh, they pick up a guy named Timothy, and then they end up in a port city called Troas, where they pick up a doctor by the name of Luke. Well, they're not really sure what else to do at this point. So uh, while they're in Troas, uh, God reveals some things to Paul in a dream. He has a, a vision of, of this man from across the Aegean Sea in Macedonia saying, hey, come bring the gospel to us. We need it. Bring it here. And so Paul wakes up and realizes, hey, this is from God. And he tells the others, and they're like, yeah, we got to go. So they hop on a boat, and they sail across the Aegean Sea, and they end up in the city of Philippi. Well, in Philippi, uh, as Paul is following God, you know, things are hard, and it didn't get much better when they got to Philippi because they're teaching good news, and long story short, they end up getting stripped, publicly beaten, and thrown in jail overnight in Philippi. Now, when they're in jail, I mean, God uses Paul and his story, right? And the, the jailer comes to faith and they get to preach the gospel and teach and start a Bible study and all this good stuff. But then eventually they, they still got beaten. They still suffered. And so he sends him on his way. He gets out of town. And uh, you got to kind of wonder if you're Paul, are you thinking a little bit, man, I'm, I'm following God's will. I'm doing all these things. Should, should I really be getting tortured like this all the time? Well, then in Acts chapter 17, which was where we were a couple weeks ago, Paul leaves Philippi, and from Philippi, he heads down through these cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia and ends up in the city of Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And uh, what happened in Thessalonica? Well, we're going we're gonna to go back and read that here in just a bit. But um, first thing I want you to know is that Thessalonica is a huge city. You know, a lot of these little places that Paul went through on his way were, were small towns. Some not a lot bigger than Milford or Syracuse or Warsaw. I mean, they, they were small towns. But when he gets to Thessalonica, Thessalonica is a major city. It's the major Roman port on the Aegean Sea. Up to 200,000 people likely lived in Thessalonica in this day, which in that day and age is a huge city, huge city. It's the gateway to Rome from everything being shipped across the Mediterranean from Africa and other places, or from Asia, from the Far East, or from Turkey. Everything travels through this port city of Thessalonica. And I don't know if you remember, but when we were talking about Philippi, uh, about 50 years before Christ, about 42 BC, th there was a major battle here where Octavius won this major uh, civil war battle in the Roman Empire. And because that happened there, he made Philippi a, a city of the Roman Empire, gave them Roman citizenship. Well, Thessalonica backed the right people in that war because they too were rewarded with freedom as part of the Roman Empire. They had freedom from certain taxes, uh, freedom to rule themselves to a certain degree. And so they became very, very loyal to Rome. 
In this time when Paul's writing, Thessalonica is the capital of, of Macedonia, which would have been this whole area up in here. It's the Roman capital of that region. And even today, you know, 200,000 people then, even today it's the second most populous city in the nation of Greece in that area. It's huge. Well, Paul and Timothy uh, get, and Silas, they, they get to Thessalonica and there's a synagogue there with Jewish believers and Paul goes in to preach the gospel over a few weeks' time and after three Sabbath days after teaching the gospel for three weeks, there's a split <laughs> and there's a division. Some who agree with him and believe, some who are really opposed to everything he's been saying and teaching. Now, uh, you should... No, and remember something I just said, though, that Thessalonica is incredibly loyal to Rome. Incredibly loyal. They're zealous in their Roman citizenship, very patriotic. So when you have someone come in like Paul who's teaching that there's another king besides Tiberius, another king besides Caesar, that doesn't sit very well in that culture especially not those who are politically zealous, to say that their Roman citizenship is only secondary to Christ, that doesn't go very well. And so the city gets put into an uproar. To declare there was another king besides Caesar is treason. And you know what treason was punished by by the Romans? Beheading. To be beheaded. So they look for Paul and for Silas and hunt him down to drag him into court. But they can't find him. I mean, it's a big city, right? They can't find him in Thessalonica. And so instead they, they realize, hey, they've been at that guy Jason's house. Let's go to his place. They go to Jason's and they look for him. They can't find him there either. So they drag Jason and some of the brothers into the city courts for a hearing. And, and Jason and them post bond, put themselves up for bond knowing the penalty for treason is death, and they're allowed to go. And then that night, they ship Paul and Silas. They say, you guys got to get out of town. They're going to kill you. And so they take off. And all of this uproar is happening in Thessalonica. And Paul gets ushered out of the city. And he goes from Thessalonica by night. He ends up in a city nearby named Berea. And he's there for a short time until he hops on a ship, goes down to Athens, and eventually makes his way over to Corinth, where he writes two letters to the church back in Thessalonica. Well, uh, Paul's concerned about him. He's, he's really concerned about what's happening back in Thessalonica. There was such an uproar. What happened to Jason? What happened to the brothers? I mean, uh, they wanted to kill me, but they told me to go. Did, did they make it? And so from Athens, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and then he gets word back from Timothy after he makes it to Corinth, and from Corinth, he starts writing letters. And so Pastor Dave covered uh, the first letter last Sunday, but I wanna show you a couple things from it uh, just that will set up where we're headed today in 2 Thessalonians. He gets to Athens, he sends Timothy back, Timothy comes back to Corinth, and he starts writing, and look at what Paul writes. He goes, you all, you became imitators of us. This is 1 Thessalonians 1. Oh, that was 1 Thessalonians 1. Let's see if we can go back. Maybe we can, where, where this is going. That was cool, wasn't it? 
I don't know how that happened, but I wonder if I got these set to advance. Let's find out. If I do, well, we'll find out what happens. Let's turn this off. Welcome to Learning to Preach with Josh. All right, here we go. Yeah. Here's what he says. He says, you became imitators. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. Imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. You received it in much affliction is how he starts 1 Thessalonians. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. And, and you became an, an, an example to all the believers throughout Macedonia. Because even though life was really hard and you were facing great persecution, you still followed on with joy. You followed on with joy. And so then he goes on in verse 13 of chapter one and he says, that, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really was, the word of God, for, which is at work in you. For you, brothers, you became, check this out. If you got your Bible, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are where? In Judea, back in Jerusalem. Well, what happened to those churches? Well, remember Stephen back in Acts chapter 7? He was murdered. Uh, remember uh, other followers and disciples back early in Acts? What happened to them in Judea and Jerusalem? They were beaten. They were thrown in prison. You became like them. So what, what, what I think Paul's saying here is that the same things that happened to them happened in Thessalonica. He got word back from Timothy that some of them likely had paid uh, for following Christ with their lives, just as they did in Jerusalem. Just like back in Judea, you, you suffered, he says, the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, the ones who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They were really suffering in Thessalonica, weren't they? And facing intense persecution Later in chapter three, look at the start of, verse, of chapter three, Paul says, therefore, we couldn't bear it any longer. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and so we sent Timothy back because we had to know how you're doing. Well, later in uh, chapter three, we read Timothy comes back and gives a good report that they're, they've been faithful to Christ and faithful to the gospel. And then in verse 13, it kind of makes sense in chapter four of, uh, verse 13 of chapter four in First Thessalonians, uh, where Paul says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. See, we know you've been suffering. We know some of you, you face the same things that happened in Jerusalem. People have been murdered for their faith. But we don't want you to be uninformed about what happens after someone dies. about those who are asleep, that, so that you wouldn't grieve as those who have no hope. They're with the Lord, and he goes on and talks about Jesus is gonna be coming back, and he's gonna fix everything that was messed up, just like we sang about, right? Asking that Jesus would come and fix this mess. And Paul's saying that's what's gonna happen, so, so have hope, keep going. Live with moral purity, live with sexual purity, live, uh, he goes on to all those things then in, First Thessalonians, live a holy life. Uh, 
was your challenge last Sunday. Well, when then you get to the next page of 2 Thessalonians, it's six months later, after writing that first letter, Paul still has that church in Thessalonica on his mind. And so he writes a letter to them again from Corinth. And do you know what his theme is? A lot of it's the same thing. He basically starts off saying, hey, I know it's hard. <laughs> Trust me, I know it's hard. Things have been rough, but keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up. Jesus is faithful. I mean, that's how he ended uh, the last letter, right? That may the God of, of peace himself sanctify you completely. He who calls you is faithful. He'll surely do it. And then he gets to the second letter. He's like, keep going. Let's look at the text here. We'll see if it sticks with us this time. Wait for it. Hey, look at that. We can actually read it. Here we go. No, we can't. Really? Oh, my goodness. All right, well, come back to the next service when I fix all those slides, and you can read it with me. But if you got your Bible, uh, look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, uh, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You know, that's a common theme of Paul's as he writes to churches. He writes all the time about the church's love for Christ and for one another. It, it kind of makes you think like, okay, so if, if no one could see anything else about your life, if you were never able to come to church again, would they know you're a follower of Jesus by the way that you love? Because you're sent to love. You're sent to love people, to invite them to follow Jesus with you. Would, would people look at your life, look at your Instagram, look at your Facebook, read through your email? Would they know you're a follower of Jesus just because of how loving you are? That's what Paul says. I, he's always talking about how important it is to love. And what did Jesus say? They'll, they'll know you're my followers. How? by your love for one another. Paul commends that in him. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. Verse five, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also what? Suffering. They're still suffering. But your love, man, you're still growing in love. You're still going, keep going, don't stop. And as you keep going, uh, you, can, you can expect persecution, right? You can expect it. Uh, and you, you're, you're living it. Since indeed God considers it just, though, to replay with, repay with affliction those who afflict you. See, you're suffering, uh, but um, God's going to take care of it. He will fix it one day. Don't give up. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 9. They're going to deliver you up to tribulation. They're going to put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
Paul later writes to Timothy, a young pastor, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Our world, have you noticed, is not a world that likes holiness and righteousness and following Christ. They like to claim Jesus, but they don't necessarily like it when you follow him. That's not going to get any better as it gets closer and closer to his return. But Paul says, listen, when you suffer, which we know very little about in America, but one day we might, keep going. When life is hard, keep going. When you lose your spouse or your child or your friend, it's so hard, but Jesus is going to fix it all. Keep going. Don't give up. When there's conflict, all right, keep going. Keep going. This isn't home. And keep your eyes on the king, not this place. Keep going. Expect persecution, but expect hardship. But no, Jesus will make it right. He will. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 tells us, uh, for starting verse 6 actually, indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He'll be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, in, in inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, in other words, from his grace and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who've believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that, that, that God... Uh, may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's gonna fix it. If you read Hebrews chapter four, we, we read about uh, Jesus will bring us into his rest as we follow him and trust him and check out this promise. In the end, when he does make it right, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Think about everything that's caused you sorrow, everything that's caused you hurt. It could be pain inflicted from following Jesus. It could just be pain because life is painful. But Jesus will wipe away every tear. He'll right every wrong. And all of it will be forgotten. So Paul says, keep going. Keep going. And then he says, Jesus will return. See, he addresses the suffering that they're enduring, their persecution. And then in chapter two, he starts talking about the fact that Jesus will return. Now concerning the coming of the Lord, he says, 
and are being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or by a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. One of the things that's happening in Thessalonica is just rampant speculation about Jesus' return. Oh, we think we missed it. I think he's already come. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? Rampant speculation about when Jesus will return. (laughs) You're right. I mean, it's just been happening for 2,000 years. People will say, oh, I know the day. I know when it's coming. And then the day gets there. And then what? He didn't come yet. They were wrong. Oh, my bad. Sorry. But but we get so easily sucked, because we're excited for his return, right? And so we get easily sucked into thinking, well, maybe he's coming back this week. Maybe he's coming back next week. And I hope it is today. But Paul gives us some clues here in uh, 2 Thessalonians about Jesus' return and to not get distracted with speculation. By the way, everything happening right now in Israel, we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for, Scripture commands us in uh, Psalm 122, verse 6, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We should pray for that. We should also pray for those who are uh, uh, in Hamas, who are, especially those who are terrorists, who have, uh, are so wrong about who God is, that they'd have a moment like the terrorists we've been reading about in Acts, a guy named Saul, that they too might be met by Jesus and, and be changed. But in the meantime, we don't need to live in fear of what's going to happen. Jesus says when you start to see things happen in that area of the world, and they're going to just increase more and more and more leading up to Jesus' return, to not cower in fear, but to lift up your head. Why? Because your redemption draws near. Well, uh, we could get caught up in all kinds of rampant speculation, or we could just keep our eyes on Jesus and keep going, knowing that he will return. And when he returns, it'll be a great day. But until then, there's things to do. Until then, there's things to do. So don't get distracted with speculation. By the way, if you want a good psalm to pray, uh, when you feel anxious about things or ward, uh, turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46, starting verse 9, says that, God makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He says, be still, verse 10, know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And we just pray to him to to make wars cease. Come, Jesus, come. Fix it. Well, uh, Paul gives some instruction to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about Jesus' return. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless, he writes, the rebellion comes first. Do you see that in verse 3? The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He's saying that day won't come until uh, that person, uh, sometimes he's referred to as the Antichrist, a leader in the end who will totally oppose God and, and even to the effect that he'll declare himself to be God. Paul's like, listen, Jesus isn't coming back until you see that happen. So keep going. And then when you see that happen, lift up your head because he's coming soon. 
See, prophecy about the end times and all that stuff isn't for our prediction, for us to sit around and go, hmm, I wonder when that's gonna happen and like figure it all out, you know, and get really nerdy. It's interesting for sure, but it's not for prediction, it's for recognition. So that when it starts to happen, we go, ah, all right, here we go. Not with fear, but with confidence that God is keeping his promises of everything he said that would come. And that's what he's writing to them about. Don't be deceived. Let no one deceive you. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Verse three, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God in Jerusalem, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was, I was still with you, I told you these things? There evidently was speculation just rampant among the people in Thessalonica about Jesus' return. Some concerned that he had already come. And you know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. So like the battle when Jesus comes back, the breath of his mouth. Like I love the hymn by Martin Luther, right? A mighty fortress is our God. One little word shall fell him. Like it's just, Jesus is gonna take care of all of it. He's gonna fix everything when he returns and bring to nothing by the appearance. He'll, he'll, he'll kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Verse nine, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So evidently he'll be powerful. He'll do miracles and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because, why are they perishing? And why will they be judged? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to trust the gospel to put their faith in Christ. And what are we sent to do? To love them so that they would know how much they're loved by God, like we're loved, and that they too would love the truth and love Jesus and love the gospel so that they wouldn't face this end. Friends, that's our mission. Well, as, uh, as he goes on, then uh, Paul tells us to stand firm. So in the face of, of persecution, in the face of struggle, know that Jesus will return and stand firm. Stand firm waiting for him. Look at verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Stand firm. Hold fast to what you know to be true. Don't be deceived by different things going on. Don't be swept away into all kinds of speculation and controversy. Stand firm. In Matthew, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And our job, proclaim the gospel to all nations in word and deed, in loving one another and in loving those who are far from God. 
and then stay focused. See, that's the thing about speculating about Jesus' return and everything going on is it's okay to think about it and it's good to think about, right? And to be excited about, but it can be such a distraction from the mission we're actually given. Because nobody knows exactly when it's gonna happen or exactly how it's gonna happen. Jesus said only the Father knew. Even he and the angels didn't know. So we can be curious for sure. That makes a ton of sense, but don't get distracted with it. Stay focused on what's at hand. I'd remind you, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, just like he had just said to the Thessalonians, right? Hold fast to the things I taught you, what I taught you at first. And he goes, uh, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And what's of first importance? The gospel. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in your place, in my place. He was buried and he rose again to new life according to the scriptures three days later. And he gives life. That's what's most important. No matter what it is, whether it's speculation about war overseas or the election coming up or uh, what laws are gonna be passed or not passed or what the price of gas is or all these other things, Care about those things, sure, but don't get distracted with them at, at, at the risk of losing sight of the fact that Jesus is returning and he's given us a mission as his church to love people, not to argue with them, not to win arguments or win a point, but to win people that they'd come to faith and know they're loved like we know we're loved. Stay focused, he says, and have hope waiting for our blessed hope, he writes to another pastor, Titus, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, that's gonna be a good day. That will be a good day. Everything made right. Everything healed. Everything good. Have that hope, that confident assurance of Jesus coming, and don't stop working until he does. See, if we get distracted with whether it's speculation about end times or speculation or whatever else it might be, we have this tendency to, to get off mission and not do what we're actually sent to do, which is love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And sometimes we just become complacent. We go, eh, it's been 2,000 years, it'll probably be another 2,000. What's my little life gonna matter? And we just get lazy. Well, Paul says don't get lazy. Uh, look at chapter three in 2 Thessalonians. If you turn the page, verse six, he says, now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the, tradition, with the tradition you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we weren't idle when we were with you. Uh, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul was a tent maker. He worked with leather. Uh, and he, he'd set up shop and he worked to pay his way. He worked hard. And he said, it, it was not because that we don't have the right to ask for you to pay us and help us, but it's because we didn't want to be a burden. 
And we wanted to give you an example to imitate. For when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. (laughs) Very real sense of responsibility. And especially among those who are followers of Christ. To work, to be responsible, to represent Christ well. And that's work in terms of just providing for your family. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, let those who don't provide for their own family be considered worse than an unbeliever if they're unwilling to work. Now there's a difference between unable and unwilling, right? Some people are unable. But he's addressing here people who are unwilling. Well, the same thing carries over to our spiritual lives of not being lazy and complacent spiritually either. He goes, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. (laughs) Not gossiping the gospel, but just gossiping. Like, stop. Now such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Christ to do their work quietly to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing what? In doing good. You know, as we, as we follow Christ, it, it is easy to grow weary in, uh, in following him and, and even at times at doing good. But Paul says, listen, don't grow weary in that. Keep working until he comes. Don't, don't stop. Keep loving one another well. Keep loving Jesus well. Find your rest and your hope in him. And don't grow weary in doing good, especially the way in which you love one another and love those who are far from Christ. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he might be ashamed. We don't practice that one very often anymore, do we? Don't regard him as an enemy, though, Paul says, but warn him or her as a brother or sister. Why? So that they'd quit being idle and come back and work, right? Uh, friends, there's a lot we could say here uh, from Second Thessalonians, but just in a, in a flyby, Paul's writing to a church that is struggling with incredible persecution. Maybe you're struggling with some kind of suffering that's been going on for a long time. Maybe it's really acute and just new. Paul says, God sees, he knows, he cares. Keep going. Know that Jesus will return. And when he returns, he's going to fix it all. This world is not home. So don't have your eyes focused here. Have them focused on Christ. And let that motivate you to keep working until he comes. So friends, as we, uh, as we wrap up for the morning, we're going to sing. Um, but let's keep those things in mind of uh, our identity in Christ, that we're, we're, we're safe at home with him, that he is going to fix everything. He is coming back, and we can trust him to keep moving forward and encourage one another toward that end. Amen? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing and call to morning.